going on? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. The phone number is 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. The email is Pete at the thepetecallenershow.com. All right, so thanks for hanging out. I appreciate it, and uh, happy Tuesday. So um, I have to acknowledge I have not covered this story of the the, the train that derailed up in Ohio. I, I, I was aware that it had derailed, and then, holy cow, what did they just do to that thing? They blew it up? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just lift it up off the tracks or something? Like, you got all these really terrible chemicals inside this train, and your idea was to set it on fire? That, why would, I have questions. I have questions. All right, so this is from Zero Hedge, compilation of several different reports. There was an NTSB um, press conference. And uh, at the press conference, they referenced a video from Salem, Ohio, about 20 miles from the site where the train derailed. And that video shows sparks and flames emitting from beneath the train. The apparent structural issues with the train was captured on a security camera while it was traveling through Salem. According to Michael Graham, board member on the NTSB, two videos they had obtained were indicative of mechanical issues attributed to rail car axles, which likely led to the derailment. All right, so you got this video showing, <clears throat> excuse me, showing uh, sparks and flames uh, as it's rolling through a different part of the state. Before it gets to east, and they pronounce it Palestine, because I got to tell you, when I first saw it, Palestine and when I saw that there was like a derailment and like people were demanding to know who's responsible and, and all that, I thought, well, obviously Israel is, right? That's what we're supposed to hear. It's It's got to be the, it has to be Israel. And then they said, no, it's East Palestine, Ohio. And I, oh, okay. So the second video obtained from when the train was passing through Salem was recorded by a processing plant nearby a hot box detector. I had no idea this technology existed. This hot box detector scans the temperature of the axles as trains pass by. According to Michael Graham, the wayside defect detector reading resulted in an alarm that alerts the crew that you've got a mechanical issue. All right, so this, this detection system, it tripped, it worked, sent a message. And when it sent the message, the crew was like, oh my gosh, we've got some sort of mechanical issue. Shortly before the derailment, now did they did they freak out? Did they you know slam on the brakes too hard or something? Consequently, that alert forced the train to execute an emergency brake application, which may have been the cause of the derailment. Presently, the NTSB is reviewing the train's data and audio recordings in order to examine the cause of the derailment and which hot box detector indicated a mechanical error preceding the accident. The NTSB is expected to issue a preliminary report on its findings within 30 days. All right, that's the statement from the uh, NTSB. So it seems like the the warning systems worked, but almost as if the humans overreacted. So that's the first part. That led to the derailment. All right, so 100 cars, more than 100 cars, derail in East 
Palestine, Ohio, near the state's border with Pennsylvania. There are roughly 5,000 residents there. The accident launched 50 of the 100 freight cars from the tracks. 20 of the freight cars on that train were carrying hazardous materials, 10 of which uh, derailed. All right, so you got 10 hazardous material cars derailed, the other 10 still on the track. Now, the accident did not have any fatalities. But of the 10 cars that derailed, half of them contained pressurized vinyl chloride, which is a highly flammable carcinogenic gas. In order to address the volatile scenario around the crash site, the Ohio Emergency Management Agency executed its plan of venting the toxic gas with a controlled burn. Okay, once again, not a scientist here, but I got questions. I have questions. You've got pressurized vinyl chloride. It is highly flammable. It is carcinogenic. That I don't think is good. Unless you're breathing it in. I think then it's fine. No, it's carcinogenic gas. It's terrible. And so the Ohio Emergency Management Agency executes a plan of venting the gas by setting it on fire. Because they did not want to have an uncontrolled explosion, which presented the risk of catastrophic damage. Now, if you've seen the video, it sure does look awfully explosion-y. It sure does. To me, it does. Now, I mean, what do I know? Just It's like black. It's angry. It's like billowy clouds. Looks like almost a nuclear mushroom kind of thing. It looks bad. Now, maybe it would have been way worse if they blew up inside the pressurized containers. I guess that's the idea. But even so, they blew this thing up or they set it on fire and now it's burning and now you got all this terrible gas and it's all drifting across the whole area. Governor Mike DeWine sent out a statement, said within the last two hours, a drastic temperature change has taken place in a rail car and there is now the potential of a catastrophic tanker failure which could cause an explosion with the potential of deadly shrapnel traveling up to a mile. That was the statement they put out in order, uh, as they uh, were explaining why they're burning it. So as to avoid an explosion. And you would have the shrapnel from the tanker truck or the, the train tanker uh, that would be spread out a mile. That's what they're trying to avoid, they said. But the operation ended up sending large plumes of smoke containing vinyl chloride, phosgene, Hydrogen chloride and other gases into the air as the flames from the controlled burn raged on for days. Phosphine, in particular, is a highly toxic gas. It'll cause vomiting, respiratory trouble. The toxicity of phosgene gas is so potent that it was previously used as a chemical weapon during the First World War. I don't think this was a good plan. I know I'm sort of Wednesday morning quarterback in here, but I don't think it was a good plan. I also don't think it's Wednesday. It's Tuesday. Let's see here. This is from a uh, Twitter account. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The, no, is it really? Eric Feigolding, that guy, doctor. That guy's a nut. Anyway, so apparently now the rumor is that uh, they did all of this because um, they wanted to get the rail line open. That's what the that's what the theory is. 
on the left at least, because this guy, and I, I'm sorry, like I had this guy's uh, tweet in this piece, and then I realized it was Eric Feigelding, and it's like, oh, that's that crazy doctor guy who's always posting crazy stuff. He's like some raging, crazy leftist guy, and he's also a little crazy. And so I would not have, I would not have offered that up, but this is, so take it with a grain of salt. He is of the left, and this is what they're saying. We nuked a town with chemicals so we could get a railroad open. I don't know if that's true. If that is true, that's not good. So much of the story is not good. The hazardous airborne chemicals prompted officials to issue mandatory evacuation and shelter-in-place orders within a one-mile radius where the train derailed, and now they're starting to see wildlife deaths. So these hazardous airborne chemicals prompted officials to issue mandatory evacuation and shelter-in-place orders within one mile, a one-mile radius of where the train derailed. That forced about 2,000 residents of East Palestine out of their homes. Some 500 people refused to leave. Following the controlled burn, local authorities received multiple reports from residents outside of the one-mile radius evacuation area. What were these people saying? Well, one was a local farmer who reported the sudden deaths of many of the animals on his farm, Park Dairy. The farmer's name, Taylor Holzer, also works for the Ohio Department of Natural Resources as a registered fox keeper. Following the disbursement of chemical agents into the air from the controlled burn, Many of the foxes on the farm experienced fatal effects from the air quality surrounding the area. He said they just started uh, coughing really hard and then just shut down and died. Eyes watery, weepy. Dead fish pulled from rivers outside of East Palestine, Ohio. One woman in East Palestine, ten, or sorry, 10 miles from East Palestine, uh, East Palestine, Amanda Brashears says she found uh, her chickens dead on her property. Caitlin Schwartzwilder, the operator of a local dog kennel. She said one affected resident told her that they had let their two-year-old dog out to use the bathroom and it never came back in. They went out to look for it and it was dead in the yard. So that's a little bit of a different picture than what the uh, emergency officials have been telling us, no? Right? The official narrative has been that the situation is under control. Pay no attention to the big black plume of, you know, terrifying smoke behind me. All is well. What else? The poor air quality presents short and long-term health risks to the public considering the carcinogenic effects of the chemicals, which also, by the way, spilled into the Ohio River towards West Virginia, prompting officials from uh, that neighboring state to shut down water production in the area and to turn to alternative sources for water supply. Let's hope they have their act together better than Asheville did, where it took them all that time to get water to its folks um what else over the last five years alone eight train derailments have occurred in the pittsburgh metro area leading to calls for increased oversight over the industry again this is from a website called zerohedge.com hardly a leftist rag okay 
Despite the inherent risk that comes with transporting chemicals like vinyl chloride, the U.S. Department of Transportation approved a rule to expand the scope of what hazardous materials can be uh, transmitted by rail. The rule made it possible for liquefied natural gas to be shipped by train without additional safety regulations. This enables freight trains to transport 100 more tank carts with up to 30,000 gallons of the natural gas extracted from shale fields. All because we won't build uh, pipelines, right? Think about how much of this stuff could be transported. Not all of it. I don't know about the vinyl chloride either. But natural gas, yes. Liquefied natural gas, yes. Like you, Yeah, you could transport this stuff via pipeline much more safely. The risks of catastrophic liquefied natural gas releases in accidents is too great not to have operational controls in place before large blocks of tank cars and unit trains proliferate, according to the National Transportation Safety Board, in a comment of support of the proposed rule. The risk of catastrophic releases is too great not to have operational controls in place before we start seeing the large trucks uh, or uh, uh, trains roll. Critics of the rule highlighted how a potential explosion of just 22 tank carts uh, filled with liquefied natural gas hold the same amount of explosive energy as the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima. What could go wrong? Hello, Mark. Welcome to the program. What's going on? Hi, Pete. Hey, I just uh, just tuned in a minute ago and um, found your topic very interesting. I um, have a daughter who lives um, almost 200 miles away from the accident site, and um, she's a nurse actually in the Cleveland area. She texted me last night and said, Dad, I'm really concerned, um, um, even being this far away, uh, you know, like I said, nearly 200 miles. She said, I'm just very scared for our health in our area, um, being in all, some of the livestock nearby that's, that's died from the uh, accident. And, and uh, it just, you know, at first I had no thought about it until she texted me, and I'm like, gosh, how far away uh, is a safe area? You right. Know, how far away they have to be to be deemed, uh, you know, no danger from any exposure. Which way is she east of this place? Uh, you know, I have not looked because uh, I'm originally from Ohio, but I am not familiar with that area. I, th- I think she is west of there, uh, if I'm correct. If that's the case, then, I mean, I would think that the wind blows, I mean, the wind blows, you know, prevailing westerlies across the entire continent. So, I'm, you know, I don't know if the wind would shift and blow the other direction towards yeah. the west. So yeah. if she's, but I mean, everything to the east, because that's where the wind generally blows everything to the east yeah. and maybe up into the northeast. And I saw one guy who say they essentially created, like, toxic rain, acid wow. rain. That's what this is going to turn into because it's seeding up in the atmosphere now. Like, it's just, I, I don't understand why they made this op, why they made this decision, but I'm not an expert, so. Yeah. Well, it's, I'm glad you're addressing this on your show and uh, appreciate your, your, um, your outlet. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. All the time. I appreciate that. We'll try to keep you updated as, you know, developments occur. Thanks for the call, Mark. Hope your daughter stays safe. Um, and hopefully this uh, is not as bad as it as it may appear. And I know what everybody is thinking in the time such as this with a toxic plume billowing out of a of a derailed train 
hundreds of cars and concerns about dying wildlife all over the area. Where is Pete Booty Gig? I know everybody's thinking it. If only Pete Booty Gig would show us the way. Let me get Mark on the program. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hello, Pete. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm well. What's going on? I want to make a comment. Uh, in my former life, prior to retirement, uh, I was the director of safety and security for a large trucking firm uh, that had 38 terminals in, uh, well, I'm sorry, 150 terminals in 38 states. Okay. Uh, and I was over the uh, the hazardous material reclamation and disposal in addition to other things. But I, it's, it's my comment that, in my opinion, the burning of the chemicals on site using available fuels, probably kerosene or diesel, to ignite it, if it wasn't self-ignitable, was purely a money-saving issue. Mm. I know at uh, my former company, we had a trailer, 45-foot uh, tractor trailer, that had uh, leaking chemicals in it. Uh, and I won't get into all the details of how they became leaking. It was a organized crime thing where the organized crime uh, syndicate would dispose of chemicals from the New York area, New Jersey area. They would have a trailer spotted at a location that was like a warehouse. Uh, they would fill it with all these chemicals and then transport it to a location way far away. In, in our case, it was Texas. Hmm. And when it arrives in Texas and we try to... No, oh, no. Mark. Mark. Oh, hang on, Mark. You, hang, Mark, you yep. still there? Yep. All right. Good. All right. You dropped out. So, so you were saying uh, where where it dropped out was when you said that they would take these trucks, fill them with stuff or whatever. Would they steal a truck and fill it with these materials and then send them to Texas? No, no. They would legitimately. They would have somebody uh, with the organized crime group call the trucking company, okay. request that an empty trailer be spotted. At a warehouse. What does that mean, spotted at a warehouse? That means left uh, at a warehouse empty for them to fill up. Okay. And then they put a seal on it, and they would deliver the trailer a truckload amount sealed, so we would never get into the trailer, load anything else in, uh, to a location, uh, the consignee. So, and in this case, it was a Texas consignee. So we took the trailer and transported it across country to Texas, and when we went to deliver it, the driver pulled up at an empty lot, an empty industrial lot, mm. and said, well, what's the deal? So he brings the trailer back to the terminal and uh, parks it, and we try to contact the shipper with a phone number they gave us on the freight bill, and guess what? No one answers. Can't get in touch with anybody. Uh, we go by the address, send the salesman by the address, and lo and behold, there's, there's nobody's there. So it's purely a, a way to dispose of hazardous chemicals illegally using legitimate trucking companies. So all that left us with the problem. Right. So, over so, about a month's period of time, the, the liquid in there began to leak a little bit. And the reason I say this thing in, in uh, the chemical burn was, was totally to save money. Uh, you have to call a hazardous waste disposal company, which is all supervised by the um, – in, in our case, an FBI agent came by and spoke to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you call this hazardous waste disposal company to come in, they have to analyze each different chemical, and then they have to develop a hazardous waste manifest, then a, a licensed, federally licensed hazardous waste disposal or transporter has to be hired to take it to a facility which is licensed for disposal of chemicals, hazardous waste. In 20 years ago, there were only like 
uh, two on the East Coast. One was in Alabama. So we had to have all this material transported to Alabama, and it was disposed of legally with manifest. But that cost our company over $250,000 back then. Holy smokes. Pure, oh, yeah, it was just purely, we just ate the loss. Uh, we would never recover it. And this was a, a pretty common scam for organized crime to get rid of materials. But now going back to the, to the uh, incineration of that material up on site, um, there's only one occasion I can remember when my company chose, with approval of the local authorities, to incinerate any type of material and it was a, a truck wreck uh, in Tennessee of a load of printer's ink that was made basically of linseed oil and then the ink products itself. And it was being sent to a Tennessee printing company uh, to print books or documents or whatever. Uh, and we chose at that point to burn it because uh, burning it does take care of the, the uh, product. But the problem is you've got to determine what's going to be produced by the burning, it, right. it's going to produce particulate matter. It's going to produce uh, some type of carbon dioxide. It's going to produce uh, water. It's going to produce other things. And so you got to watch where this was. Well, again, going back, I have seen incinerators, and, and the uh, disposal site in Alabama did use incinerators, but they get so hot, they are fired by an external ignition source, whether it be electricity with an arc, or whether it be natural gas that's compressed and shot in at, at high pressure. But the chamber where this stuff is incinerated is so high pressure that you don't even have any smoke come out. Mm. I've seen it. You don't have any residue at all come out because it is so hot. It could fire consumes everything. And what they chose to do was to burn it on site with, if, if the material itself was not flammable, they would have had to add an accelerant of some type to get the chemical burning in most cases, they go cheap, use kerosene, diesel fuel, uh, and then it burns. It's going to produce a ton of black city smoke. But that was that was evident to to burn the actual chemical itself. All it does is disperse it over a large area, and I think that's what they did. They just did that to save money because if they would have hired a company to come in and do a true legal uh, hazardous waste disposal of all that material, uh, it would have taken you know, six months and cost millions of dollars. Yeah. Millions of dollars. That's nuts. So, well, yeah. I'll uh, I'll keep following it, Mark. I appreciate the background. Thanks for the insight. Sure. All right, man. Okay. Take care. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That is really interesting. And I've seen it referenced before. I don't know if it's true, but I'm, I'll be watching. We shall see. Uh, all righty. So I got a, a message here regarding the uh, train derailment. Email from uh, Stan to Pete at the PeteCallenderShoe.com. What I find extremely unsettling about how authorities handled the Ohio train derailment is that they released all these poisonous chemicals into the air and water via a controlled explosion, which not only had to have extremely dangerous effects on the local air and water supply, but also destroyed a lot of the accident site. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Um, and along with it, any evidence as to what caused this in the first place. Then, as animals were dying from the air and water around the site, those same people said it was okay to breathe the air and drink the water. I'm sure they're just following the science and data and have our best interests at heart. It's a wonder anyone trusts any of these people anymore. Um, 
I do recall there was a chemical fire that occurred. I want to say it was somewhere in like this, uh, the central southern part of Charlotte, somewhere down I-77, I want to say, but I forget exactly where. And I recall that I was sent out. I was a, I was a young cub reporter at the time. And so I, uh, I go out there and, you know, they've got the whole area shut down. And I'm trying to get information. I'm on the phone calling back to the newsroom. There was a particular news director here um, who urged me to get closer. And I said, well, which way is the wind blowing? And <laughs> he said he didn't know. And I said, well, that's going to dictate how close I get. Because uh, I am not equipped for handling a chemical fire. <laughs> I do not have the proper equipment uh, to go next to a chemical fire. I have a handkerchief that I carry in my back pocket because Dad taught me well. I carry the handkerchief, and you never know when you use it, by the way. You never know. And no, I usually don't use it to blow my nose or wipe my crying eyes. I usually use it when I'm soaking up the liberal tears. That's... No, I'm kidding. No, actually, you use it for, I just use it for all sorts. I'll wipe down tables or something, you know. You're out somewhere, you just use it to, as a cloth, just to wipe stuff up. Like if you're, you know, getting rid of some, like, information off of your uh, homebrew server as a secretary of state. That kind of, you know, like with a cloth. Anyway, I, that's not going to save me from a chemical fire, from the fumes coming from a chemical plant. It's one of those times when you realize the people that are making the decisions about where to send you <laughs> to go cover stories may not have your best interests at heart. <laughs> they, they're like, now remember, make sure you wear this reflective jacket thing while you go stand next to the side of a road during an ice storm. <laughs> and I learned this too, by the way. I learned this, uh, this was a, a separate lesson. When I worked for the, uh, what is now Spectrum News, I worked very briefly for like six months at News 14 Carolina. And... um I had to go out because uh, we were doing, what was the story? It was the, it was the I-77, I-85 interchange project on the north side, or maybe it was the 485. And they were, they were, they got approval for it or they started building it or something. And so I went up there to, you know, shoot some video of this interchange, you know, the work that was being done. And then I was going to do a live hit from, you know, the side of the road. So when we pull over, we start videotaping some of the stuff. I start realizing all of a sudden all the traffic is slowing down because because of me, right? They see this vehicle on the side of the road. It's a TV crew, and so they're thinking something newsworthy is happening, so they want to slow down and start rubbernecking, right? And there's nothing here except some you know young idiot with a... Okay, I wasn't that young at the time, but I, I was like uh, 30s, <clears throat> and uh, it's a young person's gig. That is a, the one-man band operation where you got to carry all the equipment, the tripod, the cameras, all one-man bands, which is where everything is going. It is a young person's gig, I will tell you that. And uh, so I start realizing I'm making the news right here. I am, I am creating the news. And if you're a reporter, that's never what you want to be. You never want to be creating the news. Because now we've got, traf we've got a traffic jam up here on the interstate because some idiot is standing there doing a live shot. So I packed up and I, and I got out of there uh, pretty quickly. Ed says he tried to get... Okay. Ed, I have like a minute, but it's yours. Hit me. Yeah, uh, the fire that they had in Ohio reminded me of the... Because phosgene was formed from burning the vinyl chloride that about 30 or 40 years ago, I tried to get 
polyvinyl chloride siding banned from being put on homes because when they catch on fire, they form forest gene. Maybe it's not enough to kill everybody, but it's, it, it seems stupid to me. Were you successful in this effort? Nope. Oh. Well, now we've got hardy plank. That's not made of that stuff, right? So, uh, <laughs> there's, uh, all those houses are coated with polyvinyl chloride. Yeah. And right. they catch on fire. People are going to get sick, maybe seriously for life. And uh, there's, there's other things like that. I got you, Ed. I appreciate the call. I did not know that. Got the hardy plank, I think. I don't know. I'll test it. I'll go home and I'll uh, light my house on fire. I'll see if... Kidding, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that.